This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. Hi, I'm Mike Bush. I'm Paul New. And I'm Colleen Sterling. Welcome to Ask the AMPs from AOPA. On Ask the AMPs, we take your toughest maintenance questions and we do the best we can to try to solve them. So if you have a question, please reach out to us at podcasts at AOPA.org. And if you like the show, make sure to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to get on our email list for our monthly newsletter and uh, interesting maintenance stories, the easiest way to do that is to text the word SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, to 33777. And a little uh, text bot will ask you for your name and email address and add you to our list. So text SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, to 33777 to put yourself on the list. So on the trip to AirVenture this year, we had an interesting incident that I'd like to relate. Do you really want to tell all about it? I really want to go there. <laughs> this is a great story, and I'll make it brief. But um, you just Say who we are, by the way. Well, well, I manage the breakdown service at Savvy, some people may know. So I see all kinds of breakdowns happening. People call in, say they've got a you know, a charging problem, or they can't start the airplane, or this light is blinking, or whatever. But occasionally we have uh, a breakdown very similar to something that Mike and my husband and I experienced while Mike was flying us in his lovely Cessna 310. We were on approach to Sioux Falls, which was our first overnight um, on the way to AirVenture from San Diego. And uh, we were uh, doing an approach into a runway with a crosswind because there was a huge thunderstorm sitting off of the southeast end of the airport. And we were forced to use this open runway. And upon touchdown, um, the pilot, was there, there was, I'm not sure who was on the brakes, but somebody touched the brakes a little hard because I was I cannot, in the back. I cannot tell a lie. It wasn't me. I it was, was in the back. My feet don't reach that far. I made a beautiful crosswind landing. <laughs> the, 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 with a right crosswind, the, the right main touched down ever so gently, followed by the left main, and then I slowly lowered the nose wheel. And what I didn't do is is I didn't roll in full right aileron during the rollout, and I didn't retract the flaps. And so when I got on the brakes, a bad thing happened. I hear squeak, squeak, and I hear my husband say, off the brakes, and then we hear thump, 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 thump. (laughs) And the airplane was pulling to the right, to the right yeah. my best efforts to keep it on the center line. And when the wing dropped, I knew instantly what had happened. 
It's a huge airport with commercial service, grooved runway. It's just gorgeous. And this big, huge thunderstorm out in the distance off the south end of the airport. And we're, we all get out and look at it. And I'm like, what do we do now? And then it occurred to me, oh, I'm the breakdown manager. I'll call the <laughs> breakdown guys. So I'm on the phone. My husband's on the phone to, um, he looks up a local FBO. I'm on the phone to our managers asking, you know, is this a good place to work with? What do we do here? And and so trying to source a tire and the airport truck comes out and with the flashing lights. And anyway, these wonderful guys came out. They did a, it was a Saturday night, about 7 p.m. call out. And they come out with this truck and this wonderful dolly. And we all got our backs under the wing yeah, and I lifted th- I the think, wing up. I think maybe we should identify them. Uh, this was, um, th- there's one maintenance operation on the field at Sioux Falls. It's called Elite Aircraft Services. And uh, we had the number, I think, in four flight database or something, but we figured there's no chance anybody's going to answer the phone on Saturday night. And sure they enough, do this somebody all the answered time. the phone. They, they rescue 737s that get flat tires. So they had this dolly that was perfect, and we wheeled would, the airplane it would, it off. It would have lifted a Gulfstream easy. Yeah. Um, so we got the and airplane. The, and the jack looked like it would have lifted a C-130. So we got the airplane retrieved to their hangar. And then the question was, well, how do we get to Oshkosh? Because they said, well, we don't have a tire like this. And Mike's saying, well, I had a tire back in my hangar. Maybe I could have it FedExed out. So, but we had to get to Oshkosh by the next day. So my husband rented a car and we were prepared to drive seven hours. And of course, we haven't had dinner and we're tired and hot. It was eight hours. Yeah, well, we didn't want to drive. We're pilots. We don't like driving and, and then two we, hours. Then, right? then we would have had to drive eight hours back the other way at the end of it. Anyway, the wonderful people at Elite said, you know, there's a there's a local um, airport about an hour west. You flew right over it when you came in. And in Mitchell, South Dakota, and they service Cessna Twins, and they might have a tire. So he made a quick call, and somebody answered and said, oh, yeah, sure, we've got one of those. And that's my bad imitation yes. <laughs> of a, of a you know of a north northern accent, um, and they put the tire outside the door of the FBO, which is in a little vestibule, yeah. And we drove an hour out there and picked it up. I felt like I was stealing something because it was the middle of the night. We pull up and grab the tire and throw it in the back and run away, and drove back amidst clouds of bugs. We were IFR on the highway going 80. This is, I guess, Highway 80, uh, Interstate 80. No, it's Interstate 90. And 90. The speed, uh, the speed limit is 80. I'm getting 80 mixed up. I've yeah. never seen a speed limit of 80 before, except in Germany. So we're trying to wipe these bugs off the windshield. They're just like smearing. It was, <laughs> oh, we could gosh. hear them hitting the car. It was amazing. We got back. We dropped the tire off. We found a hotel. We got a couple hours of sleep. And the next morning, they had the tire on by the time we got out there. It was amazing. And we got to Oshkosh just in time for the Fisk arrival. Just in time. <laughs> to break down. But it was uh, it was an amazing save. We showed up at 8.30 in the morning on Sunday. And um, Logan Parr, who was, who was my hero, the, the shop manager at, uh, at Elite, the supervisor, he already had the the airplane jacked, the dolly removed, the wheel removed, the old tire off, the new tire on. And as I walked in at 830, he said, how many PSI do you want me to inflate this to? That's where he was. So It's awesome. It's like the exact kind of maintenance. So you... The airplane was down on its feet by 9, fueled by 930, and, and, and we got to Oshkosh on schedule. It was just 
absolutely amazing. Stunning. So, Colleen, when you called Breakdown Assistance, was there a shock or did they say, well, just a minute, I'll put you through to Colleen Sterling. She's no. Our- <laughs> no, but I said, the boss is broken down. You have to help us. And they were oh. all laughing. <laughs> and so there's all these texts coming through to my phone. Tell Mike to keep his, fi- his feet on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> They were giving him heat. <laughs> well, the, uh, uh, the whole rest of all, all the rest of the flight to Oshkosh and then back home to San Diego, Dave was was saying, you know, don't use the brakes, don't use the feet <laughs> on the floor. Yeah, and Mike did great. So anyway, we survived, um, yeah. but now we know what people feel like when they're broken down. We got a firsthand it's experience. It's very emotional. It, it is. Yeah. It, it really is. We're blocking a runway. We're watching these, uh, you know, jets taking off on the cross runway. <laughs> and, and hoping somebody doesn't show up with a, a yeah. tow motor and a chain to drag and, you off. And the, the, the San Diego airport folks were like really cool about this. They they, they weren't, they didn't seem concerned at all that we, yeah. Sioux Falls, I mean, that we could close their runway. Yeah, they were they, great. They did come out with a clipboard and ask me to fill, fill out, out an accident little, report. <laughs> little report. Well, it wasn't an accident, but yeah, incident. incident. Incident report. Or occurrence. It's, was it an yeah. occurrence? It could have been an occurrence. Anyway, we, been, su- we survived, yeah. but it was um, it Trauma. made for great stories once we got to air vents. I mean, the, the yeah. flat tire was embarrassing, but the, the ability to, to get the airplane back together on a Saturday night and a Sunday morning, and it was just astonishing. And uh, if I ever have a flat tire game, which I'll try not to do. I'll I, do it at I Sioux Falls. I will definitely do it at Sioux <laughs> Falls. That was just astonishing. And and Mike has written this up with pictures uh, in for the next AOPA. And it's oh, we, got, we, got, we got some great pictures. Did you? Yeah. Get, are you publishing the picture of Colleen stealing, stealing the, tire? the tire? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. It was almost as big as I was. It's a huge <laughs> that, that'll be in the October issue of yeah. the OPA pilot. Our first question is from Chris, who is sweating some oil analysis results. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great, Paul. Great. Tell us what's going on here. Well, 62 uh, Cessna 182E Skyline. Uh, put a new factory remand in it back in the fall of uh, 21. And initially, as you'd expect, had some high metal in the, my uh, first oil analysis that uh, we did some 42 hours into the, uh, into the run. But as we've progressed into the, the second, third, and fourth analysis, uh, there's been some persistent high metals. And uh, such that with the second analysis, I actually got that call that you never want to get when the uh, lab calls you. Uh, with, <laughs> That's a lot of metal. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that kind of caught my attention. And I spoke to uh, uh, Continental about it. And they said, uh, you know, take two aspirin, call me in the morning, um, <laughs> con- continue and resample. Well, in the meantime, you know, the clock is ticking on my warranty. So I uh, went ahead and uh, flew it another uh 70 hours and uh numbers are were still still high uh and so uh the the trend has been good and when i first uh submitted the question it was the numbers were alarming but uh now seem things seem to be trending in the correct kind of way but still you know at 150 hours my numbers are are kind of high and that's why i thought i would throw it out to uh to you three and see what you had to say about it well have you borescoped the cylinders? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they looked fine. Because Continental's not going to 
giving you any warranty consideration based on oil analysis uh, results, no matter how bad they are. Yeah. Uh, you'd have to be able to see something under a borescope and send them a picture of something abnormal going on in the cylinders. The stuff on an oil analysis report is is revealing only the the microscopic little particles of metal that are so tiny that they pass through the oil filter. Because if they were larger than that, they wouldn't they'd be caught in the oil filter and 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 wouldn't get into the sample jar. Um, I assume you've also cut open the oil filter and taken a very good look at it and haven't found anything interesting? No, it's, uh, they're all very clean. Okay, well, as long as the needle is moving in the right direction and the filter is clean and the borescope images look good, I don't think I would stress over it. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I, I agree. I'm looking at the numbers. So the only ones that look interesting are the aluminum, the chromium, and copper, none of those, I just don't see anything that I'd get real excited about. They are beginning to kind of level off and trend down. So you're getting- The iron is, is very low for a continental cylinder. It's 28 mm-hmm. parts per million. Um, yeah, it doesn't look bad. And I'm looking at the uh, the number of hours on some of the oil. I'm, I might suggest changing oil at 50 hours instead of 72, but the oil itself- uh, seems to be holding up plenty good. Okay. I, I might know a person that's gone like 100 hours a couple of times and has not had any trouble. On oil? Yeah. Oh. I, I don't recommend it. I'm no, we, <laughs> not we've going seen, there. We, we've seen some cylinders that are engines that, that went well beyond 50 hours and the oil looks horrible <laughs> is he changing it looks like he's changing it on the top level the 29 not the 70 oh, I'm, I'm, oh, oh, I'm, I'm not the 70. seeing oh, any sorry. standard he oil wouldn't go seven, well, on a new they're, engine they're, i don't even think sure well and Chris he said 70 hours later he did an oil change and so i my mind my eyes just clicked onto that no he's changing it hours okay 15 and 29 yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. sorry yeah. my frequently. apologies no, it's okay. I wanted to hold Chris up. He's, he's doing everything right here. Yeah, and, no, and, I think and you're, you're looking at the oil filter every time you, you change the yeah. oil. Yes, exactly. So, I, I think more trending is, is in order. Okay. And what do you make of that fuel percentage? I have never heard that discussed. The dilution it's, thing? Yeah. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> usually means that you're priming too aggressively is what it usually or, means. Or, or he has that winterization thing that Cessna used to put on him where you could inject half gas oh, directly into the oil sump. <laughs> you know, that, that 182 might be old enough that it might even have that. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Yeah. So well, I've got an E-model here that we just did a uh, finished some work on. And... Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's oh, an interesting oil concept. Dilution system, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the owner's manual mentions that, but uh, no. When I got that, the airplane that, thirty years ago, it did not have that. I think yeah. that was back in the day before multi-weight oil was available. Yeah, but uh, um, it usually means you're you're priming too much. Yep. How do you prime uh, the airplane? Yeah, by that the was way? my very. That was my next <laughs> question. That's exactly what I was thinking. Great, great minds think alike, right? <laughs> uh, six-cylinder primer, and uh, it's. I give it about three shots on a cold day, and um, you know it fires right up. Yeah, try two shots. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, you know, you get in the habit of doing X number of of primes, or hold the primer if it's an electric primer for six seconds or eight seconds or whatever. And I usually find that the numbers 
don't have a, a basis. Now, some you probably have. You probably tried it and found that three primes makes it work. But just for grins, I would try next time it's cold and you're thinking three, try two. Uh, and you may find it starts just fine. And you're not pumping the throttle, correct? Oh, this is good. That's, <laughs> and it, that's it, what it, we were worried about. If you're able to do it, it's a, it's a lot better to prime the engine while you're cranking it rather than to prime it first and then crank it afterward. Yep. So it sends the fuel to all the cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the engine is sucking in your prime oh, that's rather right. it's than letting pulling it run it down. Down into the airbox yeah. where it can ignite. <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, primer nozzles are in the exact same holes that injector nozzles would be in yeah. if you had an injected right in engine. Port. So if you're slowly pushing your primer in, and you're priming all six cylinders, a lot of engines will only prime five or four so that you keep a couple that are not going to get flooded. But if you're just pushing in a little bit, it it can make a huge difference. Gotcha. Uh, back in January this year, there was a suggestion by Continental to uh, send a sample off to Av Labs to ID the apparently the, the source of some of these metals. Uh, can you expand on that? I wasn't sure what they were talking about. Well, that would be if you were seeing metal in the oil filter. You would send it off to AvLab for microscopic analysis, and they'd come back with a report that says what uh, alloys are found in the filter, and that often lets us tell where the metal's coming from. But you're saying you're not seeing significant metal in the filter, so it wouldn't there really wouldn't have anything to send to AvLab. Yeah, I was just surprised to hear that from them because, you know, I'd, I'd heard your recommendations on previous podcasts about this. And, uh, yeah, the oil itself would not be helpful. You need actual particles for them. Yep, they need chunks. <laughs> that. Yeah. Well, Very I guess cool. that's pretty good news for you, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when when uh, you three tell me I'm doing the right thing, I, I feel good about that. So, so don't stress and prime less. That's the <laughs> <laughs> He's Mike's Mike's been working coming up with that the whole time in, we were talking about this. Yeah, he's he's a new marketing <laughs> campaign. <laughs> Chris, thanks for the call. Is interesting question. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey David, I got a riddle for you. How can you upgrade your next flight without upgrading your airplane? I think upgrading the pilot would be the first clue for that one. <laughs> The guy between the headsets, huh? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'll give you a clue. It has ADSB traffic and weather, Sirius XM weather and entertainment, no wires, and it works with ForeFlight and Garmin Pilot. Oh, Ian, I know what that is. It's a Garmin GDL 52 Sirius XM portable weather receiver. Yeah, that, that's right. Okay. And now, believe it or not, the Garmin GDL 52 comes with a three-month trial of Sirius XM aviation weather and a very special limited time $400 rebate. Learn more about all that this receiver can do and the limited time $400 rebate by visiting sporties.com slash GDL 52. Our next question is from Mike, who is doing something you should never do in aviation, looking <laughs> back and second guessing himself on cylinder swaps. Go ahead, Mike. Well, that's all because I didn't know what I was talking about or thinking about. Uh, but thanks to, you know, 150 of Mike Bush's webinars, I'm actually finally <laughs> up to speed now. And it motivated me that writing the five figure check really does. So uh -huh. yeah. I, I do have some buyer's remorse. <laughs> I do have some retrospective questions here. So I, I bought a 1986 Malibu about two years ago, and it came with 500 hours on a zero-time engine. And then I had put about 300 hours on it since. 
And I was debugging in a, a weird ignition problem with my A&P, and then we noticed oily spark plugs. And then sooner or later, we were um, flunking the compression test and reflunking it. Uh, it's a Continental 550C, TSIO 550C. And so we were getting 30s and 40s, well below the master orifice. It was clearly coming out the exhaust, at, at least a lot of it out of the exhaust. Uh, so the borescope revealed that there was some serious gunk on the valve seats, the exhaust valve seats, some erosion and blow torching going on. The oil analysis, like from the previous oil change, just came back the next day and it confirmed high nickel, which means, uh, you know, uh, the valve guide wear. And we saw we could visibly see like a, an oval shape instead of a circular shape around the, the valve guide. And this is w- one thing that I haven't heard from you yet, Mike, is, you know, what is the acceptable limit for valve guide wear? I know you say it can, you know, it can come back and it can still seal pretty well, but the bottom line that I want to know from you guys is uh, could we have lapped the valve and, and saved this situation um, and how much valve guide wear is truly acceptable? Well, yeah, yes, those, you could those, have saved first, it. First of all, what pore scope did you use to take those? Yeah, we yeah, love your pictures, awesome. Mike. I'd have to ask my A&P. Oh my gosh. Go, great pictures. I but can they, read the serial yeah, numbers those, on those these things. Those images are, are absolutely beautiful. So whoever did that knows how to do borescope images which is a rare rare thing yeah so there is a lot of lead i guess or deposits on the valve guides that we can see but that's stuff that would just clean up beautifully with a little with a little lapping and it probably wouldn't even take much all of that stuff looks like it's in really good shape there's yeah. a picture coming up where it shows some blow torching going on. It looks yeah. like it looks like scoring almost. Yeah, we noticed that. That looks more like wear and not deposits. So. No, if you go go to the seat though, because lapping is only going to help the valve seats. Right, right. Yeah, look at these pictures. Man, They're awesome. There it is. There's oh, one. There? There's and the blow. Sometimes now, you can now get you that can out. See that that's begging for for lapping because yeah. you, you can <laughs> see that the contact area uh, of the valve is not shiny which it should be. It should be nice and clean and shiny. But uh, I think lapping that thing would, would be fine. That that, that looks like yeah. a very good candidate. Now, those, those are some blowtorch areas. You have three of them there. Yeah. And you're going to have to be really aggressive with lapping. But I would say that was probably about an 80% chance of getting that to clear up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a good candidate. And as Paul said, you need to be more aggressive with the lapping than you think you do. The, the, the standard rookie mistake is not is not lapping it enough. But you want to have a nice, shiny contact oh. area. All that white stuff is where it's not contacting. And I, I noticed some of your valves actually do have really good-looking contact areas, and some mm-hmm. don't. Where on the- um, how, how do you, how do you uh, just out of curiosity, what's the leaning procedure that you use on this engine? Um, what I had been doing, uh, the, again, this is before uh, I, I binged all of your all of your materials. Uh, you know, just the very slow big pull. You know, oh. um, you know, lean at fifty. You know, fifty lean of peak. But now I I do the big pull. Uh, and w- how how about during ground operations? Do you lean it very aggressively during ground operations? I I do now. I wasn't as vigilant before because I, I suspect a lot of those deposits. We're, we're, we're from taxing to, yeah. to ground operations with over rich mixtures. 
the previous owner had a, an older JPI in there that I went back and downloaded the data and they were mm-hmm. showing a fuel flow of 4.1 gallons while I was on the ground. And I thought, wow, that's, that does not compare well to my about three gallons per hour that I was getting yeah. when I'm lean. So <clears throat> there was a chance that they were running it full rich on the ground quite often. So you, you, you probably in, inherited a lot of those deposits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. But, you know, another idea about preventing something like this, I know that you've said that uh, EGTs oscillating up and down with a one-minute period is a telltale sign for some uneven uh, heat dissipation on, on the exhaust valves. One However, second. I noticed CHTs going up and down with a one-minute pattern, about 12 degrees up and down for two or three cylinders on a lot of those data readouts from the JPI. I'm curious, do you, what do you think about the, the CHTs oscillating up and down? It's baffling. Yeah, we've occasionally seen that in, in, in data that's been uploaded, and we've never quite figured out why that happened. Well, it can be on, baffling. Yeah, yeah it's that, definitely, I, I would say it's almost certainly baffling. And I see it, on, especially on the Columbia series, uh, something that we picked up, gosh, 15 or so years ago. And if the baffling wasn't installed correctly, it would, the pressure would build uh, on the top of the engine and it would blow the baffle out of position. And then that would relieve the pressure and then the baffle would return to its proper position. It's hard to imagine, but it's yeah. hard to imagine. But you're talking about a big chunk of aluminum. So it's going to move temperature wise very slowly. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah the, talking the about the cylinder head. Yeah. Yeah. And it would look like a sawtooth wave. We, we should go back because we didn't answer one of Mike's questions, which had to do with the acceptable valve limits of valve yeah. guide wear. Yeah. Continental does not publish any acceptable mm-hmm. limits, unlike Lycoming, that, who does and wants you to do wobble tests. It is quite normal in, in Continental cylinders for the guides to wear to an oval shape because there's a side load on the valve stems where the rocker arm is opening and closing the valve. It, it and, you know, it's not a roller rocker or anything, and, and, and so it puts a side load on the valve, and eventually that causes the, the valve guide to develop an oval shape. And my experience, I think Paul probably has the same experience, is that those guys can get very, very sloppy without really affecting engine operation. It, it's it's a lot more critical on Lycomings, but on Continentals, I don't worry too much about valve guide wear. Yeah, it, they all are going to be worn, and it, it just—I've I've not seen a valve burn because of valve guide wear. So far, all the ones that I've seen burn are because the rotocoils don't work, or because there's debris on the seats, and that's every time. We used to think valve guide wear was it, but after a while of really paying attention. It, just doesn't yeah, seem to make that much difference. There's all these old wives' tales, you know, that, that, you know, we all we all were taught. A lot of it just turns out not to be true. I just, you know, didn't un- interpret the warning signs correctly mm-hmm. just because I'm not forced to learn about that until I write a five-figure check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Ouch. But now you got a bright, shiny engine. And yeah, you're going to be the sole operator. You know how it's operated. You're going to do it all right. We, we like to talk about Leaning on the ground, not aggressively, but brutally. Yes. Yeah, brutally, uh, almost it, to the point. You of know, it you you know dying. you're leaning brutally on the ground if 
when you go to take off and you forget <laughs> to put the mixture control forward and it the engine dies. <laughs> yeah it, yeah it won't let you take off until it's you embarrassing but you didn't melt the cylinders exactly yeah, yeah. well did that help mike <laughs> oh oh definitely it it's it's you know a good retrospective uh, you know an expensive lesson learned definitely yeah, but um all been there yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that I, I know what I know now and I, that I binged all of Mike's webinars on his YouTube channel. So thanks, Mike. It sounds like you've got, got a great airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's like you know, now. it consumes only three quarts of oil. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, three quarts. It consumes a quart every eight hours now as, as opposed good. to three and a half before. So yeah. Um, yeah. a little less blow by and the oil stays a, a good color for much longer and I'm still doing oil changes every 25 hours. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Well, thank okay, you so well, much. I really appreciate your time. Fly yeah, another two hundred and fifty hours a year. That'll that'll, that'll keep you going. It. Happy. That's, <laughs> that's the best thing you can do. There was a big letdown when I finished all the binging all of Mike's webinars. It's like now suddenly, poof! There's like nothing, and then well, it's like, you know, uh, Mike is after me to start posting his old webinars to our channel. So that's on my to do list if I could just find the time. So hopefully, we'll keep upping the number up there. Cool. Thanks. Okay. Well, thank right. you. Thanks for the question. Thanks. Great talking Thanks, with you. Thanks, Mike. Our next question is from Kevin, who has too much of a good thing. Go ahead, Kevin. This is, we're not going to figure this one out. <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is kind of a fun problem to look at once in a while. So I've got a uh, Piper Cherokee 140, uh, 1965, a nice, simple airplane that just about anybody with uh, a license and a, and a wrench can fix. But a couple of years ago, I moved to a new airport and I, it was time for an annual. So I emailed uh, three of the four shops on the field. I didn't realize there was a fourth one because they were associated with the flight school. But I emailed the three shops and they all came back very quickly with very, two of them came back with very comparable prices. The third one was a, it's a very large shop. So their prices were about double the other shop, but <laughs> definitely have, they have a very good reputation. They work mostly on turbines and that type of thing. So I, went, I kind of flipped a coin and picked a shop and had a great had great experiences with them. And then after I was there for a while, I uh, had the opportunity to talk to a few more people. And I said, oh, yeah, go talk to the other guy. He's really good, too. So I went over there for an annual inspection. I had a great, great experience with him as well. So this brought up a couple of questions for me is when you have multiple good shops to work with, and they're all honest, they're all you know, fully capable of, of fixing your plane, is it better to have one mechanic who knows your plane well do all of your inspections or swap between the uh, shops from time to time? Well, the, the main thing is to don't tell anybody about this situation because <laughs> nobody lives in an airport with too many mechanics, and they're all going to yeah. come flooding in and you're not going to be able to get on the schedule all the time. Yeah, it's a great place to be. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, that was uh, kind of one of the things that I was a little bit concerned about too, especially with you know all the other mechanics, all the shops all around the country getting so short. Is are these guys going to be short uh, on on slots in the future? They should be short. Well, now. There, are, there are there are pros and cons to the question you're asking. It's a little complicated, but I, I've always been a big believer in, in in getting different sets of eyes on the airplane. Different eyes see different things, and you know, one one IA will will find problems that uh, another IA overlooked, and uh, not not because he's sloppy, just because he, he he has a different focus. Yeah. The only disadvantage is if um, 
you know, you take it to a different shop, they, 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 they may feel like they need to go back to first principles on AD research and stuff, and it may cost a little bit more. I mean, I've been doing my own annual for quite a while now since I got my IA, and I have to say, and there's probably a lot of people out there listening to this that are in the same situation. You know, you get your IA and you're like, I know my plane better than anybody else. It would really benefit me to have Paul New come to my shop and look at my plane. <laughs> and I keep trying to get that. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like inviting someone you to come in. You may have to take it to him rather than the other yeah. way around. I mean, it's scary because you, you might be biting off more than you can chew. You know, there might be a lot of work that's just lying there that I've been looking over. But I really think that if the same person looks at the airplane on a recurring basis, that you start to look past things that other people would flag. And that's probably a good thing to do occasionally. Yeah, we have... So I'm a fan of mixing it up. We have five IAs at our shop. So we're kind of overqualified, but we rotate. I'm not allowed to do annual inspections anymore because I don't have the attention span. I'm thinking about business <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so, But Steve and Doug and Blake and Rukong are very capable and we'll we'll swap them around so we try not to have the same person do an annual and same airplane every year and we'll find things that i don't i don't want to say were missed the year before but as mike said different focus different life experience depending on the model of airplane it doesn't mean that the previous mechanic wasn't good it means that different people see different things and the and and the inspection process is an imperfect process. That's that's why they make us do it every year. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I I got my airplane. It it was amazing. We 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 sometimes found discrepancies that obviously were there when the airplane rolled out of the Cessna factory, and 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 the airplane went through ten annuals before the discrepancy was found. Something something chafing or you know something not properly protected or secured not not huge things that would make you fall out of the sky but but it's it is kind of amazing how much gets missed during an annual from a an interaction with your shops i don't know that i would swap year to year because pretty soon mechanics really like to know that you have a certain amount of loyalty because they've invested in you and they've invested in learning your airplane so uh, you know, maybe use one guy for a period of time and then use the other guy. The the big shop that likes to work on jets that doubled the price, I wouldn't I wouldn't they don't waste, want your business. They don't want that that's <laughs> yeah. the that's the I don't want it price. That's okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. That, that, that was the impression I got. They would have yeah. done it, but they would have yeah. honor that. Things to do. Yeah. They're they're but letting you know. No, thanks. The optimum situation is sort of the one that Paul described in his shop, where you, you can stay with the same shop, but you you get a different IAs from from year to year. That that's really a good situation. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I've had the uh, opposite end of the spectrum too, where the mechanic you know sees every little thing wrong and everything had to be fixed right now, or you know that airplane's gonna be grounded. And yeah. that guy got fired after that annual, and I've had a lot. Of, I've seen heard a lot he of used, advice on. He used the right word. He fired him. Mike's That's been trying awesome. to get well, you, you are know, in charge. We, we, we <laughs> love shops that 
that find every little thing and write every little thing up and and, and give us a, an 80 item discrepancy list uh, as long as they're willing to accept no for an answer on a bunch of them but if they uh, IAs that that consider everything an airworthiness item the, 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 that's a, that's a problem yeah so that's the right attitude there you go you're the manager Take charge. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Sure, that was All a great right. question. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for taking me. All right. All right. Take care. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Our next question is from Steve, who is getting deep into the wobble. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> okay. Um, I have a, an RV6A with a Lycoming 0360. A friend of mine has an RV-8A with the same engine. Because he ran into an issue with a stuck valve in flight, and my engine had about twice the hours his does, um, I decided to investigate the wobble test. So I dug out Lycoming service bulletin 338C. 388C. Yeah, 388. Correct, correct. 388C. And... Went through it three or four times until I finally figured out to start crossing out the things that did not apply to my case. <laughs> then, got down, then got down to an understandable list of what to do and how to do it. So I did purchase a, an aftermarket tool that Aircraft Spruce sells. I don't believe they make it. I don't know who makes it, but it's not. I did not use the Lycoming tool of which Lycoming is, yeah. is extremely proud of based yeah. on their price. <laughs> yes. um, but the aftermarket tool looks like it, it, it functions very similar to the Lycoming tool if you modify it to use a dial indicator. Yeah, I made my own tools for this. Yes. Yeah, and just machine my own. Right. There is, there the, the, the 388C does have an option for, did, did you make that type? Because they do have an option for I, making. I made... Tool. I made a various and a sundry versions to allow the dial test indicator to be mounted in different positions. We used to have to do this test. I, I maintained a small fleet of Cherokee sixes for a freight operator. And we would do this test because they had to comply with all the service bulletins every 400 hours. And we were doing this test at least once and sometimes twice a month. So we got very proficient but, at it. But Paul, I, I seem to recall, correct me if I'm wrong, that that you ultimately decided that doing the wobble test was a waste of time. And if you had, we're going to take the valve train apart enough to do the wobble test, you might as well just ream the valve guide and yep. get the wobble test. Yeah, we, we eventually, it was like, every we never worried about them being wobbly. They, Mike Oming is worried about bell mouthing. And then they came out with a new guide that basically eliminated the bell mouthing issue, but didn't do anything for the constricting on the valve stem itself. And almost all of the ones that we found were problematic. The stem, the valve would be stuck. And so in 400 hours, there'd be at least one valve that they would not push a mallet. out. <laughs> it would have to take a mallet and tap it out. It was just unreal. So nowadays, I, I haven't used that tool in forever, unless someone requires to have the wobble test done. Otherwise, at somewhere around a thousand hours, just drop the valves, run a run a reamer through it, put the valve back in, and move on. Well, even if you're required to comply with 388C, if 
if you skip the wobble and go straight to the rim, <laughs> that's, that's complying, isn't it? Well, I don't know. It depends because it does have a, a minimum and maximum. So you take care of it has a minimum, but you don't, you haven't measured the maximum. So technically I think you would still have to do it if you were required to do it. If you're a part 135 operator or something like that, I think you might still have to do it. But if you're but a part you don't, 91 you don't, operator. You don't really worry about the maximum, right? No. It's really the stuck valves is what we're the worried about. The stuck valves is what we're worried about. Sure. But Steve's question is about measurement error oh, because sorry. he's a precise guy. I didn't even guy. get to the question yet. I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> well, so kind of a long story short here, the the uh, the range for the, the uh, valve guides in my engine is, I believe, 10 to 30,000 spec by Lycone. It's about normal. And that's that's what so that's what they spec. Um, using this aftermarket tool, I put it on and I played with it for quite a while on all four cylinders, and I got between thirty-five and forty thousand. Th this engine has about eleven hundred hours on it, so it's, I think you were trying too hard. Uh, well, that's that's where my that's where my question is heading. Yeah, how hard are you supposed to push when you <laughs> well, wobble the valve? It's it's interesting because Lycoming in their in their service bulletin tells you how big a screwdriver to use. <laughs> and then they kind of had words of caution after that that say something to the effect yeah, of don't break don't, it. Don't push too hard <laughs> yeah. with with no in, or don't use excessive pressure. Pressure. With yeah. with no well those stems are hollow, you could theoretically, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, believe me. Not, yeah. I, believe me. I wasn't wrenching on it with all my might. I, you know, this is it's it's. But they don't warn that you could damage the valve. They're warning that you could cause erratic measurements, which means that you're basically <laughs> affecting the measurement by using too big a screwdriver, which yeah. is kind of or quirky. or just too much leverage on it. Yeah. You just need yeah. to move it until it makes contact. Until if you it gives add you the pressure reading after you want. contact, yeah. yeah, you can you can flex it. Well, yeah, that, and that was <clears> what <throat> I that was that was what I was seeing. I believe was can you, can you still can you just wiggle it with your fingers, Paul? Or you, it's once you get the tools in place, it's really hard to get on the valve with the finger and push it, and that's mm -hmm. why the screwdriver comes into play. It's just something you can reach in there with, but just as soon as it makes contact, anything after that is, is false. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that, that makes, makes me sense. feel better then because I, I'm <laughs> not I'm not really concerned about the numbers I got. I think I'm fine. Yeah. I'm a little surprised they suggest you use a screwdriver as opposed to like a fiber drift or something that couldn't scratch anything. Or... Yeah. The screwdriver goes against the tool that holds oh. onto the head and oh, okay. it, it came with a, I believe it was a Delrin bushing that you pried against the, uh, you take the uh, the rocker arm out and the Delrin bushing goes in place, of the rocker arm. So you're prying against surfaces okay. you don't really care about, not the engine. Yeah, That, that was my first thought was, I'm, I'm not going to pry against anything in here <laughs> that yeah. came from Lycoming, no way. <laughs> so hmm. so the, anyway, my, my, my question was, is this really a very good measurement? Because it seemed kind of flaky to me based on my industry experience in uh, <laughs> making and building precision assemblies. 
You you don't subscribe to the Overthinkers Anonymous Club. Yeah, but this this is Paul knew that looks about right, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, this is a, that feels about right. That feels, that feels about, about right. right. Yeah. yeah. Yes, should yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> on on a like and to be honest, there's not a test like this for the Continentals, which is I think un- unfortunate. We've had well a couple of calls just in this month and last month. Well, in other months, asking about you know, how much wobble is allowed, and there's no criteria for it. You're exactly right. The process is fraught with error. But what you're going to find out is, yeah, I've got 30, 35 thousandths. It's great. It's, as long as it's, it's not too tight. It, yeah, the too tight yeah. is what's going to get you in trouble. Yeah. yeah, that's that, what you're worried about. The, the, the wobble, lower end. 30 or 35 thousandths. That's not going to make much difference in the operation. Yeah. Five thousandths. Now you're you're talking five thousandths. Yeah. And Paul, yeah, we, I, I I don't have the service bullet in front of me, but my recollection is that it that that they have a, a compliance interval of either four hundred or a thousand hours, depending on something. But I forget what the dependent is. Yeah, that's the new guide. The four hundred hours was the original guide. And now with the new, the guide with the new material makeup was a thousand hours. But, but the new guide may wear slower, but it's, it's not, it's not going to stick less, is it? Exactly. That's my point. Yeah. So, Precisely so, correct. So to me, that's why. So length, 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 lengthening the interval. I, I mean, I just think the secret of, of this stuff is, is to Fly off and be very mean. sensitive about morning sickness yep. and to watch the valve action with a borescope whenever you have a spark plug out. Yeah. I might suggest, and maybe this is a little too much, depending on your mechanic, we got it down to, we were, it was about 45 minutes per cylinder uh, to do the whole process. So we would, we would do this and whatever that works out to, you know, four or five hours, something like that. Is that to wobble or to ream? To ream. Well, to do everything. So this is on the okay. Cherokee 6. We'd do six right, cylinders, right. and we would do the wobble test and ream. There would always be at least one or two that needed to be reamed. While the valves were out, we would just run a reamer through all of them uh, just to be sure. And all of them, we got a little bit of trash out of there. So it was 45 minutes per cylinder, which is, what, four and a half hours, something like that. And sort of like doing the ream wash that has been suggested maybe do that every 500 to 1,000 hours, something to, to help that issue. On a lycoming in particular, a straight valve lycoming, I might suggest doing the uh, valve ream every 1,000 or 1,500 hours just to see where it is. Yep. Well, great question, Steve. Very interesting. Thank you for yeah. dialing in and enjoy that RV. Great. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks great for the call, rocket. Steve. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap on another podcast. What did we get right? And, of course, what did we get wrong? We can always expect to hear from you on that count. Keep sending us your tricky questions and try to stump us. Your questions and comments can come to podcasts at aopa.org. Hope to hear from you soon. See ya. Bye.